welcome to the latest episode of the Haptics Club podcast. I'm Ashley, Strategic Partnerships at Nanoport.io. Um, I'm joined on stage with the Haptics Club crew. We've got Heist from Sense Glove, but Eric from Interhaptics, Menu of Unity, Arena of Sense Glove. Um, this club is a team of people that just love discussing haptics. Um, we have a goal of raising awareness for all the amazing people in the haptic space um, and just love having interesting discussions on the subject. Today, we have a very special guest, Daniel Shore. So we're super excited to talk about haptics and design, engineering, R&D, um, hashtag love tech. We'll start off with some questions to get to know our speaker, Dan, and then we'll deep dive into his expertise as R&D projects at Love Honey Group. Um, it's a, basically a company that's a leader in sexual wellness technology. Uh, he's also a lecturer and all around a good guy at Haptics Geek. So we'll also get his thoughts on the future of haptics, of course, including the challenges and opportunities. And then, of course, warning, there's going to be some juicy questions and answers um, upcoming. And this should take us about 30 minutes. So a five-minute intro, five-minute area of expertise, 10 minutes of future. And then at the 30-minute mark, we'll open up the floor to audience questions. Uh, we've already got a few, so be ready for that. So with that, I'm going to hand the mic to Heis of Sense Glove. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for the great introduction. And then, very welcome on our HapChat. Super excited to have you here. So for the ones who just joined as a context, then used to work also at SenseGlove, so uh, we know each other quite well. Dan, welcome. Maybe as first part, uh, can you give yourself a, you know, make a brief introduction of yourself and especially on how did you got involved into haptics? Yeah, uh, well, welcome, or thank you guys for, for having me on the, on the podcast and haptics chat. Um, so my journey through haptics is about three and a half, four years old now. I got started actually, my first contact to haptics was working for Sense Glove as a student, getting my master's. Um, so I went back for a master's degree and they had put up a student project at the Delft, um, sort of looking for a student group to help them develop their first product, the DK1. I had really wanted to get in the VR AR, so that was the reason for going back to school. I had a military and industrial defense background, needed to sort of build a new portfolio. Um, and what I wound up falling in love with was not the VR side of the project, something that of course is very close to, um, to Sense Glove, but more on the sort of haptic and feedback. I thought the question that come into in, into play when we think about touch and touch interaction and the meaning of touch were, were really interesting and the things you could do with illusions. Um, so that, uh, you know, that student project and then the mentorship from the wonderfully talented Jessica Harcher O'Brien now over at Facebook Reality Labs um, really got me, you know, my background was in mechanical engineering and then she taught me some of the psychophysics and human perception. So started there and now i am doing my own weird sub brand of haptics uh working love honey uh building products for our we vibe and womanizer brands um so in the the sexual wellness uh, side of the house cool that's uh, a short but already very interesting journey uh at then and well at the two basically three domains where you're in at so you're at SenseClub, we focus obviously on enterprise VR. At, at um, your current job, you're focusing more at the yeah, pleasure industry, let's say, say that way. And also with lecturing, you both are into teaching 
but also into like more of the, the research sticks. How do you combine these and where do you see like the coherence between these three worlds, but still within the domain of haptics? Yeah, no, it's a it's a really, really good question, because I think what we're starting to see is the stratified haptics. We're starting to have these subspecialties. Um, so I've always been interested in, in, in the area of haptics called effective touch. So, right, what about the human contact piece makes me feel a certain way? How can I create some sort of experience? So, right, I've got also a very blended background, um, you know, mechanical engineering, industrial design, consulting on top of that. So working in sort of these weird multidisciplinary spaces is not, nothing new to me. There's always a common thread. And for me, that common thread is, is whether it's in enterprise VR, whether it's in sex tech, or whether it's in sort of the weird art and design stuff I'm doing through my affiliation with the Vibe Research Lab at the Dave Delft. It's always about how do I use haptic in any, you know, of the submodalities to create some sort of, uh, you know, experience change or belief change. We always talked at SenseGlove about, you know, what makes the digital feel real, not really in the sense of trying to recreate the experience, but in trying to find the critical pieces that would make the experience feel compelling or believable, right? It wasn't always about realism. Um, now, of course, I take sort of that same approach, but my objective isn't compellingness, it's pleasure, it's engagement, um, and also sort of a disassociation from the world around you, right? Masturbation, um, and sorry, uh, I guess this will get a little PG-13 or maybe R-rated for those of you in America. Um, this might be the first R-rated haptics chat, that'll be fun, but Really, masturbation often is a way of, of trying to sort of escape from the experiences of the world. You're trying to connect with yourself, have some time to yourself. And so how do we use haptic feedback and rhythmic entrainment that haptics can provide in order to drive people, you know, out of the active nagging voices and into, you know, into just waves of pleasure? So it's always been linked to me. It's just what I'm doing is not a technology. I'm not focused on building actuators. I'm not necessarily focused on building products or even trying to understand the sort of, you know, neuroscience and mechanics of the body. But it's really, how do we use all of these different things to drive unexperience? And that's what links it all together to me. So sort of long answer there, but hopefully it uh, ties it nicely. Oh, that's super nice. So like, and that means that you also always need to be user-driven. And that dives a little bit into the, the next question that, that I have for you is that you touched already upon this art project that you have and you obviously with SenseGlove um, and your current job, you're working on more scalable solutions. So looking at users, how do you tie into um, like designing or building experiences for like art is more of a one-off product and how does that relate to more scalable products where you have like multiple users and different types of personas. No, that's a, that's a wonderful question, right? And I, I think I think what you're touching on is, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, the future of haptics, right? But we're what we're finally starting to see is the role of design um, and human-centered, you know, human-computer interface, human-centered design. 
emerging into haptics. I've always sort of viewed the field as sort of in the legacy, at least, being split into these two pillars. You have the engineering track, the roboticists that are focused on the actuator and the transmission of of the data. And then you have sort of the psychophysics side, human perception side, that's really looking at sort of JNDs, just noticeable differences, trying to understand, you know, the sensitivity and the, the curves and the values of the human body, right? What What's always, to me, been missing, and I'm going to just sort of plug, I mean, very old project of mine now, but my, my thesis work was really about trying to bridge that gap and trying to look at haptics as a way of transmitting information, right? So, you start by defining an experience you want to create, and then you break that experience down into sort of the critical bits of information you need to get across. You have to have an objective. Um, you know, what do you want the user to experience on the far side of this? Um, is it happiness? Is it a feeling of success in a VR training environment? Is it, you know, climax fulfillment, right? You have to break down towards a target and then start using the technologies and the actuators you have available to build back up towards that objective. So, right, with research side, you know, if you look at sort of what's being published out at um, either like, you know, CHI conferences or, um, you know, haptics conferences, you see a lot of great insight into technologies and the use of these technologies. Um, but what's always missing to me is what does that drive towards right i can i can create a more compelling more realistic sensation of friction but if that actuator only works on on one finger and isn't scalable and doesn't work around the body it doesn't necessarily drive the discipline forward it just gives us you know a better understanding so that i guess is not not really an answer um but me talking around those points uh so hopefully uh yeah yeah, a little bit less uh, concrete than I had hoped, indeed. But no, I, I mean, I, I, I think try again, if you want, um, I, I guess really the, the the critical thing here is scale haptics and to make haptics a mainstream product um, and a mainstream driver. We have to simplify what we're trying to achieve with haptics. Really focus on what are the critical pieces that haptics can do better than nothing else. Right. So in my case, it's rhythms, it's, uh, you know, certain patterns, um, that feeling of intimacy, emotion and connection. Right. You have a contact, um, you know, in a literal sense, between the person touching and the thing being touched. So, you know, you always have a tighter emotional bond through haptics than you do through vision or speech or audition um, or, you know, any senses. So you know, building around the strengths of haptics and not trying to do everything through haptics and sort of leaving the idea of perfect realism behind. Nice. That's a, a nice way to put it indeed. And the question that directly pops up to my mind uh, as, as a follow-up is like within Sense Club, you obviously uh, work more on a level where you would combine vibrotactile feedback, force feedback in order to create natural interactions. And uh, in your current job, you totally focus on vibrations. And I think also in the Oculus um, work you have done, you also are focused on vibration. So how does this type, different type of haptic technology relate to that end user goal? 
Yeah, well, and and I would say I'm not entirely focused on vibrotactile in my current role, um, but I am more cutaneously driven. So I, I think a lot of the like haptics research is written off good old vibrators, right? Like, um, I see so many cool papers on piezos and ultrasonic, and I love that stuff, but. Right. Vibration motors are something that everybody's familiar with. We all understand. Um, and the new technology is coming out through voice coil actuators, particularly now. Right, it's not that the technology is new. It's that the price point is new. You can go to Foster now and, and buy, uh, you know, wideband haptic actuators for under five euro. That's that's a wonderful thing for prototyping and, and user design. Um, so you get a little more bandwidth. Um, yeah. So. Within, within what I'm doing at, 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 uh, at Love Honey, right? So within our Womanizer brand, it's all about pressure air technology. So I don't need to transmit a whole lot of fidelity, a lot of information across the, the, you know, the structure of the vulva, the structure of the clitoris is not designed like the hand is, right? And most of the work I do, almost all of the haptics I do now is away from the hand. And I think that's a really interesting and emerging place to come up with. So wristband wearables that, that you know, utilize the C-tactile afferent to present pleasure. You can do wearables that do breathing entrainment, um, you know, around as a chest strap. And then you can use the control and modification of the breath rate to relax. You have things like the Apollo Neuro, which is a, a vibrating ankle band or wristband that offers to help reduce stress and you know from at least my own personal experience i find is somewhat impressive or useful in that regard um and then yeah within womanizer right it's this it's this vibrating column of air that we just move up and down and that pressure um difference on the clitoris um creates cutaneous deformation right it's it's some aspect of vibration but it is also lower frequency um and not necessarily within the the ranges of, you know, some of your, your more rapidly adapting mechanoreceptors. Um, so you have to choose like where on the body the, the piece or the equipment or the device makes sense. You have to understand what that area of the body is primed to do, right? Our lips are very different from our hands are very different from our genitalia, but those are the three most sensitive areas on our body and they're all glabrous skin. Um, and so... Right, you, you sort of target the feeling, you target the sensation, and then try to drive the right amount of information through. Uh, you can't overwhelm people with just all of the data, right? Our ability to process haptic feedback is much slower than that, that the amount of data we can capture through vision. So it's distilling that down to really the right set of, of feedback um, and then presenting that to the right receptor using the right kind of technology, um, not trying to do too many things at once. And what well, maybe a, a bit of a uh, proposed question here, but how do you about to create that right experience and you're working for a woman brand being a man, how do you cope with creating that right experience? <laughs> Oh, it's a wonderful challenge, right? I, I make jokes all the time that half of my job is mansplaining to women how they should orgasm. Um, so, yeah, right? It, it, it's an incredibly difficult challenge trying to design um, 
for a body that's not your own, right? I'm a male-bodied person, and I work almost exclusively on products that are female-bodied. So designing haptic experiences in the lab is all well and good, but I think feeling is believing, right? And most of us know this. <laughs> We're in haptics for a reason. So you have to get things out into touch and, you know, have people use it. Um, these sort of, you know, build fast, fail fast approaches. And I think a wonderful example, we we're talking about him earlier, is Camille Mousset's um, doctoral thesis, Simple Haptics, right? It was all about how do I, how do I reduce the barrier to prototyping as much as possible so that iterations are, uh, you know, something we can really achieve? Because we take a guess, um, you know, we, we send it out for user testing um, and then we take the feedback and use that to tune and optimize. It's always, you know, try, do a little bit better, do a little bit better, do a little bit better. So, I, I mean, the advice I would give to hapticians or haptic engineers, at least, is something we put in place at, at SenseGlove. Overbuild your products a little bit with some flexibility. And as you get that user feedback, you know, coming back in, try to find ways to you know, to incorporate that into your product. So we had the DK1 go out, um, realized one of the big complaints was people weren't making good uh, contact, right? They kept falling through surfaces because fingertip vibrations weren't strong enough. So getting just a simple ERM to give some sort of cue in, even though we were, you know, bandwidth limited in, in the glove itself, help solve that challenge, right? You always want to add a little bit more functionality in your first uh, iterations and try to design your system architect flexible way that you can sort of update things down the road um, and, and sort of optimize after things have launched. And in that sense, is being a male in your current job then also an advantage because you can't like test the N is one on yourself. So you <laughs> really have to go out to, to get the user feedback. Yeah, well, I, maybe, maybe. Um, I'll say too, right? This is one of the big differences, at least in, in my my side of the house, um, of haptics, I should say. Within sex tech, men and women have very, very different approaches to sex and narratives to sex. Um, but also, you know, the the things that are driving the experience for men and women are wildly different. And so men are driven by power <laughs> often. Uh, so, you know, I don't work on, on uh, male toys, but our ArcWave Ion toy um, takes that pressure air technology from Womanizer, and we're trying to apply that to men. It's a very unique and different experience um, as someone who's been involved in, in the testing for it. Um, but, right, what, what makes that technology work for men doesn't necessarily translate over from the clitoral suction we do in the womanizer. And so women, even between two different female-bodied individuals, um, that exact same stimuli can have a completely different effect. So my theory on this, at least, is really driven by the, the importance of memory in touch, right? So the same reason we sort of can drop fruit that's rotten without actually realizing you know, from a simple grab, if it feels a little too soft, our hands like naturally already recoil. We, we have such a library of memory that our body calls on um, within touch. And so within the VR use case, you're trying to give just the right amount of cues so that the body take, you know, fills in the rest from memory. In the sex tech experience, um, you know, we want to make sure that 
we're we're giving people the the sort of stimuli that they have come to like and expect um and so what one really enjoys will not necessarily work for the other um if you think about it this way right i can i can touch a complete stranger um and put a hand on her shoulder and that that sort of that same amount of pressure and contact and stimuli, if it's an exact same sensory input between a complete stranger and a really intimate partner of mine, right? That behavior, how they interpret those same stimuli will be wildly different. Um, you know, it's that, it's that memory role that I think is often not well acknowledged in touch. And that also leaves space for customization then. Oh, definitely. Um, and, and, and this comes back to sort of the overbuilding your product part of things. Um, so, right, you're, you're, you're trying to add some flexibility or, or some functionality, um, particularly in my field, to allow you to experience things in different ways. Um, but the, the emotionality of touch, um, I think, requires that you, you understand who it is you're building for really well. Right, so we have an art installation, um, and I say we, my wonderful collaborator, Laura E. Dima. Um, so she's a, a haptic artist uh, working in Amsterdam, and we just had an exhibition in Amsterdam Central Station, um, so the train station there, where we were building um, basically stroking robots, right? We wanted to explore the idea of could two complete strangers connect to one another um, via touch, if it was all robotically mediated, if, if they were not able to see one another. I mean, right, we wanted to see basically, could you still love someone um, or, you know, be turned on by the idea of someone in uh, a tactile way during Corona? Um, and so you, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what kind of people would be willing to try the experience. Um, so a student of mine, Amy Dundecker, really you know, a wonderful designer um, in her own right took, a, you know, took lead on, on trying to understand how that experience was going to be felt um, and how people the first time were going to react to it. Um, so, yeah, I think you have to you have to customize, but you also have to have a very, very clear idea of who your target is. Um, and that helps you just because, right, my advice is sort of counterintuitive here. It's like build flexibility into your product. But don't build every your product. Pick the critical information and send that across. Well, this is why there's a duality there, right? You need to understand who it is you're building for, narrow your window as much as possible, and then you can expand, uh, you know, to build the flexibility back in. That is a wonderful paradox. And I think the, the latest art installation that you have made also really kind of touches upon the next topic of the future of haptics. So can you sketch this, and especially in sex tag, a little bit the like two year ahead future, so like the quite near future. What what can we expect from this industry? And then also, uh, yes, take it a little bit further down the road, like in five to ten years. Maybe also relate them back to your previous work in VR. Is that a combination that you see in, in like ten years? Yeah. Oh, and thank you uh, to to Otnow for for sharing. Um, yeah. So there's two installations. I'm sorry, the finger rub rug, um, but the the current one is called Future Affair. Um, much more, um, I think, a little more tactile focused. So, what is the future of haptics? Um, to me, it's driven by two things. It's driven by new people coming into the discipline, um, and this is. I think, I mean, obviously, from my perspective, given 
who I'm collaborating with. I think artists, designers, um, you know, these people who are really user centric and user experienced, uh, user experience centric are going to start coming into the discipline, right? We've gotten rid of every sort of control surface in <laughs> pretty much any sort of device. And so what we are trying to do now is add that that tactility, you know, and the discrimination element of, you know, these five different knobs in my automotive interface or whatever back in. Um, so I, I, I sort of think, right, that's going to be the, the first part is haptics conferences are going to start looking very, very different. We're going to have more and more design focused um, and, you know, artistic focused work coming out. But that's also, I think, because the future of haptics is moving away from the hand, right? If you look at, at technology trends, and this is why I sort of say that I work on wearables, holdables, huggables, and insertables, um, right? We're, we're moving away from the hand being the central part of the, the, the UI, right? Um, right now, everything is a big, flat, God panel, touchscreen display, but the sort of future to me is these wristband wearables. Um, I mean, you really look at some of the head starts companies like Apple in particular have in, in the wearable and the wristband market. Um, you know, think about half of the people I know are wearing some sort of wrist mounted computer interface. Um, and so I don't see the cell phone remaining in its current form. And we look at AR and computing going on the face and everything getting some sort of cloud connection. Right. How do we do haptics when the hand isn't actually a part of things anymore? Um, and so that that to me has been the reason he the leap uh, as backwards as sex tech might be in terms of the actuators. Right. We're still mainly working with ERMs. Um, what they are ahead of the curve on is the idea that stimulation needs to be provided in a variety of locations. And how do we provide that? Um not necessarily at the fingertip. How do we create these sorts of haptic experiences away from it? So I think the next five years of haptics are really going to start looking at the, the forearm, the temple, the back of the neck, um, and maybe even the ankle as the point of contact with the user rather than the finger itself. Um, and then I, I think also we're going to, yeah, we're going to see haptics actually move away and, and start to fall down a little bit too. Um, I think as materials and surfaces get more interesting, and this is a paper I'm hoping is almost, uh, we're in a minor last revision now for transactions on haptics, um, the big journal. Uh, what we basically say is that the highest fidelity haptics um, is going to be sort of these low fidelity actuators combined with morphing surfaces. So we're going to actually be moving back towards what we moved away from, right? Running these defined control features, we've gone to these tactile displays, uh, you know, playing a glass. So to give that some information, we've done a lot of investigation and development of new and novel actuators. And now once that surface is no longer glass, but all actuators morphing and moving and contouring, we don't need the actuator, you know, a vibration or something to provide that feedback anymore because the surface itself will have the intelligence. Um, so that that's sort of the, I think the future of haptics is, right, we're not going to need to cram so much fidelity into single actuators as we get to these sort of grids and matrix actuator um, surfaces.
hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> this is extremely controversial what you already said, what you just said. I think you are the first one that shares uh, <laughs> this kind of thought. It's incredible. Can you, if you can, of course, because this paper is not yet in out, can you dig a little bit on why? Why, why, why you believe that we will give up fidelity for, I mean, surface shape, that's, I completely agree with you, but they are, to my understanding, my opinion, they are in different uh, perceptual areas. Yeah, one is... and, and sorry, let, let me be extremely clear, right? I think that the total bandwidth will only be increasing, right? There's, a, there's an upper to haptics. What I'm saying is that today, because of the limitations of actuators and configuration, we, we are relying on individual actuators to have lots of bandwidth, right? We need to transmit. So changing from an ERM to a voice coil, we're going from a low fidelity technology that has low response rates um, with coupled frequency and amplitude to a voice coil actuator where you have independent control over frequency and amplitude. So you've gone from a, a, you know, a curve to a two-dimensional surface um, in terms of, of feedback information. Um, and right, so we, we're, that's the current state. We're trying to maximize the amount of data in an individual actuator. I'm saying in the future, the surfaces themselves will also be actuators. Um, you, you see things like, um, you know, electric active polymers um, and these sort of shape memory alloy materials. Those, you know, or piezos as well. Um, those technologies will enable us to actually distribute the bandwidth across multiple surfaces and multiple points of contact with the user. And so net ability of the body to understand is going to go up because rather than a single point of contact with the tip of my finger, I now can have a morphing surface that envelops my entire hand. Um, I can commit more information across that bandwidth. I mean, the skin is the largest single sensory organ for a reason. It requires multiple areas of contact because the density in a lot of the body isn't high. And also, as I'm saying, right, we're moving away from the hand to the wrist. And if you, <laughs> you know, if you look at, at the, uh, the, the density of the mechanoreceptors and the amount of nerve endings you have for at least the somatosensory system, it basically plummets uh, the second you get off the palm. So this is, this is going to need to be the techno technological change in order to continue to get uh, information across. Thanks a lot. I think that was extremely insightful. And I think we can pass to the, continue to the second question of high cities. How you see it from, you know, five to 10 years out? Or it was already crammed into the previous answer? <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. Um, I, I, like, and I especially with a focus on sex tech, because oh, for, for us here in, in, in the audience, that's kind of a, a blind spot. and. Yeah, I, I might be the only haptician working in sex tech right now. I, um, I mean, you know, it's such a stigmatized thing. I was talking, I mean, right, so I was looking at, at getting a, a doctorate. It was something I was actively thinking about and considering. Um, and I wanted to do that in six beyond the hand, right? And so to me, sex tech is such a fundamental part of, of haptics, particularly if what you care about is effective touch, right? So saying we're gonna look at how touch can create emotion and can create feeling and can create connection 
and negating the emotional and connecting and feeling experience out there um, seemed silly. Uh, but there's a lot of hesitance and, uh, you know, in researching sex tech in any way, shape or form. I mean, basically, I, I got turned down by seven labs who knew me and knew my work, thought I was capable, but just couldn't touch the topic. And that, right, I'm, I'm 30. So I'm pretty new to this game. I'm pretty young still. I've got a lot of time ahead of me. And I really think that's going to be our generation's haptics. Uh, you know, this is something that we're willing to do or going to be able to do because we've done a lot of the work in breaking down the hurdles of having conversations about sex. Um, I think, you know, younger generations and the generations younger than me um, or even more impressive in this regard, are just very open and willing to have the discussion. Um, sex to them is something that's completely normal and, and completely out there. Um, you can deny the, the link between language and, and touch, right? We describe people as warm, cold, soft, long, hard, uh, stiff, right? These are all tactile words. Um, you know, these are all haptics words. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if language isn't there to have conversations or you're not able to, to have the conversations and use language to talk about these parts of haptics, you're not going to see the development. Um, so that to me is what's really interesting. Uh, you know, just people are far more open and adventurous and, and vulnerable, um, you know, confidently vulnerable about talking about sex. And so we can talk about it, which means we can research about it, which means we can publish about it which means that we can collaborate and then develop forward together. Um, I think, you know, I've probably had some sort of conversation with half the companies represented, um, I think, in today's audience about, you know, what we can do together, right? Um, there's, there's tons of little groups that want to work in sex, but their investors won't let them or they think it'll, you know, distract them. We had that conversation at, at Sense Club when someone offered to, to invest heavily if we could make virtual reality breasts, as I recall, right? We didn't want to be known as boob club. Um, we had those jokes. <laughs> sense love blo uh, jokes. Oh yeah, sense G love. Sense G love was what it was. I'm sorry. You're right. Sense G love, which was the name of our Slack channel for a very long time after that conversation. <laughs> Funny insights too. But yeah, to be honest, um, I think sex tech is one of the first actual haptic domains that is scaled so we have obviously gamers we have a few, yeah, a few tactile displays in, in, in automotive but maybe yeah. in numbers the, the, the users of, of sex toys are, are yeah. outraging that you're, you're, you're probably right I, I am likely one of the largest single purchases, purchasers of vibration motors if, if you take me as a representative of Love Honey Group the largest sexual happiness company in the world um but there's a reason that everything we do is still driven by the ERM, right? There's not, there's not a lot of knowledge in, in Atlantic side um, moving forward. So right, when, I, when I made the leap from Sense Glove to, to Love Honey, um, that, was, you know, that, that was really what drove my interviewer, got me the job. I was like, hey, you guys don't know about vibration. And then you know, I sent that email to them. Um, now, you know, now my, my chief engineering officer, um, responded back with, what are you talking about? We know plenty about vibration. We had the conversation that they really didn't. Um, 
you know, so there's so much potential, there's so much room for growth. Anyone with some knowledge of, you know, haptic interface design and, and you know, the, the current state of the art in haptics um, could probably radically improve their own sex toys. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I was, I was hacking my own toys before I made the leap into the industry. I'm sure at least one of the people uh, on this call has considered it as well. So, yeah, um, I see a lot of untapped potential in this space, uh, particularly, once again, it comes down to the ability to collaborate and publish. So this is the reason why I hold, um, you know, not only a, um, an industry affiliation, but, uh, you know, I have my own consulting firm, Contextual Labs, and then I also have the Vibe Research Lab over at the TU Delft, right? It's about starting those conversations. Um, because that's what's going to drive haptics in sex tech forward. And I think driving haptics in sex tech forward will help improve haptics and wearables and spatial computing. Um, we have a very different set of insights, but nobody knows how to build body safe products more than the sex tech industry does. Um, and so there's a lot in terms of spatial computing and VRAR from what sexual wellness people do, because yeah, I mean, we don't have the luxury of building a slightly uncomfortable or slightly heavy product. I mean, and I love the DK1. I'm very, very proud of, you know, the work we did there at SenseGlove. But it's not, you know, it's not a great, comfortable, easy, solid product. It has to be perfect in sexual wellness. It has to be something that fits into the handle and the user can use and experience without having to think about it at all. Um, and so... That, to me, is, is why I made the leap. And another Haptics Club chat comes to a close. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to hosting you at our next chat. You do this every other week, same time, same place, and we're super excited to have you there. Be sure to find us on LinkedIn, where you can be the first to know who our next guest is going to be. All the details will be there. You can RSVP. You can also find us on Twitter at Haptics Club, where you can join in the conversation and ask questions. And if you happen to miss an episode, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Spotify and on Apple, and you can get up to speed on some of the buzzworthy topics we covered. But once again, on behalf of the entire Haptics Club, I want to say thank you for taking the time to join us and jump in the conversation and be a part of this amazing community. And we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.